Pure Talk, my sponsor and my wireless company, of now providing international roaming to over 50 countries. Now, as you plan your summer travel, make sure that your wireless company covers you at home and abroad. Now, you can get unlimited talk and text, plenty of 5G data for just 20 bucks a month. That's less than half the price of Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile for the exact same service. Just go to puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N, make the switch today. Save an additional 50% off your first month. That's puretalk.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Are you being influenced? Well, if you watched the blockbuster film in the last decade, well, then there's a chance it has been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Now, here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. Now, in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, well, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free when you go to the website, hollywoodtakeover.com slash Sean, S-E-A-N. Hey, we're all looking to save, especially on medical bills, but where do you start? Now, unless you're a medical billing expert, finding savings, well, it can seem impossible. HealthLock can help. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your insurance, and they flag errors like overbilling or wrong codes and fraud. And you can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. Now, saving starts with knowing where to look. Go to their website. It's healthlock.com today before you see any other healthcare provider. Let not your heart be troubled. You are listening to the Sean Hannity Radio Show Podcast. So like many of you, I have trouble sleeping. I have insomnia. No matter what I tried, it wouldn't work until I met Mike Lindell and I got my very own MyPillow. It has changed my life. What makes MyPillow so different is MyPillow's patented adjustable fill. In other words, you can adjust the patented fill to your exact individual needs so you get the support you need and want to help you get to sleep faster and stay asleep longer. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 1-800-919-6090. Remember, use the promo code Hannity. When you do, Mike Lindell will give you his best offer ever. Buy one pillow and get another one absolutely free. MyPillow, made in the USA, 10-year unconditional warranty, and it has a 60-day, no-questions-asked money-back guarantee. You have nothing to lose. So it's time for you to start getting the quality of sleep that you've been wanting and we need. Just go to MyPillow.com or call 800-919-6090, promo code Hannity. Take advantage of Mike's special two-for-one offer. MyPillow.com, promo code Hannity. This is Jonathan Gillen filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity. On the Sean Hannity Radio Show, man, it is good to be back in the studio, even though, you know, Sean gives me such a ration about uh, riding this scooter around uh, New York City. You know, it's uh, the easiest way I could get around New York City. It's an emo- it's a motorized ET. Wow, it's a great scooter. I, you know, I listen, I recommend anybody uh, that is in good physical shape if they want to get around the city fast, because it goes about 20 miles an hour and you can zip through traffic and stuff. It's great. Until... You meet a empty planter uh, hole that uh, the city of New York doesn't have a tree in, and uh, you flip head over end in it, and uh, I have a complete uh, quadricep ligament tear in my knee. So that's uh, my first visit to the VA uh, this week, and the VA here in New York City, they've done a pretty incredible job. So uh, I want to thank them for all that, uh, for all their help this week. Now, 
those of you who don't know who I am, and uh, I hope that you do, I fill in on Sean Hannity's radio show. You may have heard me on David Webb. You may have heard me on Andrew Wilkow's shows. I'm a former Navy SEAL, Federal Air Marshal, security contractor, and FBI special agent. And I just finished a book. It's actually going to be out December 12th. You can get it right now on Amazon. It's called Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can order. You can pre-order that right now. It's better that you pre-order it. If you're driving down the road, you never heard of me before. I'm going to tell you all about this book, but we're going to, I'm going to have a series of people uh, talk today uh, about awareness because that's ultimately what it's about, the art of awareness and attack survival. What I'm going to try to do today before you go on your Thanksgiving, hopefully many of you are driving to your family's houses right now and you're listening to this and you're already out of work. What I'm going to try to convey to you over the next few hours is something that is so important that I, I want you to, I know you listen to talk radio and everybody listens to stuff and there's so much going on with whether it's the sex scandals constantly or whether it is a terrorist attack or whether it's a, a, a church shooting by a, a crazed madman. I'm going to tell you today, we're going to talk to several different people and we're going to go over awareness and how you can actually forward think a lot of these types of attacks and how you can do your own little target package on your life in different sectors of your life so that you can then identify where these things would possibly happen. So, you know, if you're a female and you're at a new job or maybe you, you're an actress and you work in Hollywood, yes, there are conservatives that listen to this show that are in Hollywood. We know that. We know that. So if you're listening, you know, this is going to be something that you'll want to Stay for the whole three hours so you can understand that literally you can find out and identify where these sexual predators may pop up uh, just by simply targeting yourself from their perspective. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to work heavily today on teaching you this stuff. We'll go over some headlines as well. But I really, really want you all to realize that this is possible. And uh, again, as we see all these different uh, sexual assault cases, like in the case of Al Franken. Listen, let's not mistake this, okay? That was sexual assault. When you grab a woman who is not wanting to be grabbed and you forcibly kiss her, that is sexual assault. And typically, uh, unless, you you know, well, there's no excuse for it, but, you know, you just figured uh, she's interested and I'm going to go for it. And this, is the, if this wasn't a date. This was a rehearsal before they went on stage. So, whether it's Al Franken or anybody else that's in the news talking about sexual assault or talking about unwanted advances, talking about, look at Harvey Weinstein and literally physical rape, you have to understand that you can forward think these things if you think you might be in that type of an environment. So let's just talk about this a little bit today. Let, let's talk about and I'm going to take a ton of calls. If you want to call in and tell your story today, 800-941-7326, 800-941-7326. I'm, I'm, I want you to call in, and if you have a story, if it's short enough, I mean, we, we don't have all the whole hour, three hours to tell your story, but I want to hear from you because I want to talk about not just the fact that these things have happened. That's what we talk about in the news. We talk about this happened to this person, this happened to that person, we talk about North Korea is a problem. We talk about Russia is a problem. We never, ever talk about how we forward think these things 
and how we prepare ourselves so that we don't have to get into this situation, how we can literally avoid the situation. You know, I, I, there's a, um, a movie about Churchill that's coming out, and on the commercial, there's an incredible quote from him, and I think I can get this right. He said, you don't try to reason with a lion when your head is in the mouth of a lion. Might have said tiger, but it was either lion or tiger. And that's the truth. Listen, you don't wait until you're in the environment and hope that you react properly. So whether we're, again, whether we're talking about these weirdos in Hollywood and Washington, Washington D.C., whether we talk about crazed maniacs around the country or around the world, maybe you're on vacation somewhere else, whether we're talking about fundamental Islam attacking again and again, that's not going away. Whether we're talking, even, I'll put it to you this way, even if you're talking about how people in your job are trying to outmaneuver you for positions and maybe they're doing some kind of deviant things. I don't want to use the word nefarious. I'm getting, I'm being told that I use that word too much. But whether it's nefarious or deviant, you can literally identify these things. It's time for the American people to stop being told that they'll be protected. It's time for the American people to stop accepting the fact that politicians want them to be dependent. It's time for the American people to realize that they can be empowered themselves. You can take care of yourselves. You can watch over yourself. Yes, you can watch over yourself. The way you do that is by understanding who, why, when, where, and how you could be attacked. And again, I'm not just talking about physical attack. I'm not just talking about sexual attack. I'm not talking about just simply about terrorist attack. I'm talking about all of them. I'm talking about any particular way that somebody can do something to you that is unwanted or in a capacity where they're trying to take something from you. So as we go through this, we're going to talk in just a little bit. I was going to hold this, but I've already announced it on social media. Elizabeth Smart is going to come on at 3.30 and talk. That alone, folks, that alone is going to be worth sitting through this show because I watched her special the other night, and if you don't know about her, and I'm going to go over this again in a little bit, you know, when she was 14 years old, a madman came into her house and took her, and for nine months, I believe it was nine months, she was held captive. Yeah, nine months. She was held captive by this guy. And uh, a lot of terrible, awful things uh, happened to her. But she was able to keep her mind and keep her wits about her. She admits there were several times where she could have gotten free. But she was not in the right mindset, as most people are, that this could actually happen. So I want to talk to her about that, about uh, if she could have changed her mindset, if, if there's something that she could have done as a young person to prevent this, if she thought it was possible. I remember being in Arkansas, nine years old, nine years old, uh, and being very aware of of the things that were going on. I often say, you know, it's it's terrible, but uh, children who have um, divorced parents or a broken family, which I, I my parents were divorced at a young age. My father died when I was thirteen. That th- those children see the world in a different way, and so they're actually more prepared. And this is no hit on parents who who do a great job and stay together and who shelter their kids and give and give their kids love and attention. The problem there is that whereas you have a children that comes from a child that comes from a broken home, they may see the the reality of the world and the things, the potential of things that can happen. 
A child that lives in a good home will also have vulnerabilities. And those vulnerabilities could be that they just never, ever expect that that could ever happen to them. So I want you to remember these key words. This is in my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. It's on Amazon right now. You can pre-order it. I want you to remember these five key things that we'll talk about all day with all these different people. We're going to talk about personal level awareness. We're going to talk about citywide awareness. We're talking about the federal government and the country and awareness. Really, it's the lack thereof and how we can get this. But remember these five criticalities. Critical areas, critical times, vulnerabilities that can be exploited, attacker's avenue of approach, and the overall spectrum of critical of critical assets. All right, so critical assets, critical areas for those assets, critical times for those assets, the uh, vulnerabilities that can be exploited for all those by the attackers and the attacker's avenue of approach. I want you to think about all of that as we go through this today. So we're going to take a break real quick. Hey, you know how I love hearing great American success stories and sharing them all with you. Well, our favorite T-shirt, underwear, sock company, Tommy John, well, that's one of them. Now, Tom Patterson grew up in a small town in South Dakota. After college, he had a successful career. He was selling medical devices on the West Coast. But he quickly became fed up with the way his undershirt kept coming untucked. So despite having zero background in men's fashion whatsoever, Tom sketched up some designs for smarter undergarments. Now, starting out of his apartment and growing Tommy John to the globally recognized company it is today, well, he achieved, Tom did, the American dream. Now, of course, they're super soft. They're undershirts. Guess what? They never come untucked. Plus, all of Tommy John underwear is backed by the best pair you'll ever wear, guarantee, or it's free. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Hannity for 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Hannity. You get 20% off your first order. TommyJohn.com slash Hannity. 20% off. That's TommyJohn.com slash Hannity. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity radio show. You know, he always calls me when he's uh, he's out. Um, I don't know. Does, does Sean go turkey hunting? Does he do that? He's a New Jersey. He's a New Yorker. I actually, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why do that came Do you go out. turkey hunting? Well, I'm from Arkansas. It's the law. If I go back, we have to hunt. <laughs> so, you know, listen, as I started talking earlier there when we started this show, uh, if you want to call in and talk about, you don't have to talk about something that's happened to you, but give your opinion, not just on different types of harassment that have happened or assault that have happened, or if you've been in a terrorist attack or, or anything, any type of an attack, is how did you prepare for that? Were you prepared? Were you not prepared? Um, and I think um, I think people are starting to become more aware just by the nature of all the things that, that tend to happen these days, uh, such as what's going on in Washington, D.C., the different types of sexual harassment. And I think it's very, very good that women are starting to come out and and not just feel empowered, but know that the ramifications, the more, listen, I've often felt and, and understood that and said this to people that when you are work in numbers, when you unify and you do things together, the power that you wield is unbelievable. It's greater than any politician, any CEO, any manager will ever have. If you face the problems with the, uh, a unified group. And so as these women start to come out, what's interesting is that it's becoming easier for women to come forward with issues and not expect that something uh, terrible is going to happen to them because they did it. 
But I do want to say this before I go to the callers uh, real quick. Actually, you know what? We're going to have to take a break here in a minute. So let me just do this. Let me say this. I want women out there, if you're listening, I want you to think about this. I came up with this. I talked about it on my own show. I do a show every night called The Experts on Facebook Live, Twitter, and YouTube at uh, 8 p.m. every night. It's simulcast live. And what I want women to know from a tactical perspective is this. If you don't feel, if something happens to you and you don't feel like coming out and telling people that this has happened, here's what I, I think that you should, the least that you should do. Because we've seen here with Roy Moore and with other people coming out you know, 30, 40 years later and saying that this happened to them, the court of public opinion is going to be hard-pressed to believe that sometimes. I'm not saying the, that the women aren't, aren't telling the truth. I don't know. But what I can tell you is that in order to protect yourself and your word, if you write down what happened to you in your own uh, legible writing, sign it. If you have a witness, get them to sign it, date it. I mean, if you have newspaper clippings or something you could put in there as well, that's fine. And then mail it to yourself. And that way, and keep it sealed. Make it go through the United States Post Office so it has a date and time stamped on it. And so when you get that, you put it in your drawer. And when you feel it's time to come out about this, now you have your own account of what happened from that point in time. And I think that's going to protect you and not, not just you and your workplace, but in the court of public opinion because I hate the fact that women get questioned when they come out about this stuff. It also, if this was the common thing, it would also protect people that are being accused. It's Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. We're going to be right back, and we're going to have an incredible interview when we get back. Don't forget, go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, at Amazon right now. news straight from the source. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Jonathan Gillum, your good buddy, your Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL, former FBI agent, your resident host for Sirius X and Patriot Channel. And then when Sean needs me to come over here and host for him, I come over and, and host for him as well. And remember, the phone number to call in is 800-941-7326. 800-941-7326. And the entire show... I'm kind of. Uh, I've got a book that's coming out uh, December 12th. It's actually uh, available for pre-order. It's called "Sheep No More: The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival." And as, as I've been telling you about, it's all about trying to uh, divide your sec your life up into sectors so that you can literally target yourself from an attacker's point of view, and then turn around, develop your awareness and your understanding of every single place that you are vulnerable. And that vulnerabilities exist that can be exploited. And you can also understand the attacker's avenue of approach. And that will better help you in everyday life and being less paranoid and more aware. And so I, last week, or it was earlier, yeah, it was last week, I was sitting this past weekend and uh, I watched the Elizabeth Smart story. I watched, she had her, uh, her own take on the things and then they had their movie afterwards. It was. Absolutely one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Uh, the First of all, the entire situation that happened, the way the incident occurred, the initial incident, the way it was carried out, the master manipulation by this psychopath 
of Elizabeth Smart, but also the very fact that as a 14-year-old, she was able to sustain her mental capacity and uh, and then talk about it afterwards and not just talk about it, but talk about what she wishes she could have done better, what she, you know, what she wasn't prepared for. So I told Lauren, Lauren made the call, and we got Elizabeth Smart to, to come on the show today. So, Elizabeth, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on here. And I got to tell you, I, I get – I'm told all the time, thank you for your service because I was in the military and stuff. But I got to tell you, thank you for for what you're doing now because of what happened to you then. I, I just can't tell you how many lives you're probably saving and touching by doing what you do. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. And you did a, an incredible job telling your story. And I've also seen your TED Talk. And uh, and you're very poised, which is... Um, oh. It's, I'm, I'm telling you, you're amazing. I've seen, I've dealt with a lot of people who've been through these things. I guess the question I, the, that I want to start off here is, if you could go back, and I know you've talked about this a lot, and you advocate for children and and uh, and making people aware of uh, young people aware of of how they could uh, better themselves and prepare themselves for these types of things. If you could go back to that point, you know, let's say a year before, two years before. At 12 or 13, what do you think you could have done or the school could have done where you go to school, parents could have done or could do that would have prepared you for for this type of potential incident? Looking back, I'm not sure that there's anything that would have like prepared me for it or could have prevented what happened. I, don't, I can't say for sure, but I do know that um, prevention education is huge because even if – even if I had been through, you know, some prevention education and it still happened to me, I would have at least known what my choices were. Because in that moment, when I woke up to a man standing above me with a knife at my neck telling me to get up and go with him, I didn't feel like there was a choice to be made. I feel like I did the only thing I could do. And so I think even just having that empowerment of realizing that even in that most dire of situations, I still had a choice, I think that would have been helpful because, I mean, we talk about, you know, fire safety, mm-hmm. stranger danger, what to do if you get in an earthquake. We talk about all those kinds of forms of safety, but has anyone ever talked to you about what you should do if someone breaks into your home in the middle of the night and has a knife at your neck? Right. No. And certainly not every uh, circumstance can be covered. Not every scenario can be covered in prevention education, but many of them can. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. So I wrote th- I wrote this book, and one of the reasons why I was, uh, wanted to have you on here was to get your take on some of this stuff. I think that if we break our lives up into sectors, you can look at some of these different things. One of the one of the things I did is I I look at, and this is what I did a lot when I was in the FBI. Uh, I ran the special events program, so I would look at all the places in New York where there could be a potential attack, and I would look at it from an attacker's point of view. One of the things that I didn't get from your story you may have said this i just missed it was how this individual got into the home so um my mom the excellent cook that she is she had actually burnt some potatoes that day my grandfather had recently passed away and it was the end of the school year so millions of assignments were due and my family was just sort of trying to regroup as we headed into the summer vacation and because because of the many things on, my mom had a million things going at once, and, and the potatoes happened to burn. So she opened the window to let it breeze in, and it was a it was a window. It was fairly 
high off the ground. I mean, it wasn't just easy jump into the window. It was fairly high off the ground, and it was narrow. It wasn't a big fat window. And that evening, I remember going around the house with my dad, locking the doors and closing the windows. And I guess that window just was not closed 100%. It just left a crack open just to try to continue to get rid of the burnt smell. Right. And, um, and th- but see, that, that was the window he forced his way in through. And he was aware he had done some work on your house before. Is that That's correct. He had come to my house once before, yes, with the sole purpose of finding out where I lived. And and so he was fixated on you uh, before. That was his main goal when he came there was to, to find out about you. Yes. Very interesting. So that's the same thing as, I, as I've talked about with a lot of people is that not just this type of psychopathic uh, attacker, um, but pedophiles will slowly work their way into a home and often befriending the family even even through church or social engagements where they can actually get in touch with the family and uh, and then work their way close to the child so it may not just be a window it may be actually a social engagement absolutely well the majority of kidnappings that take place they're not strangers there are people that you know whether it's family or someone within that circle of trust a friend a community leader a religious leader I mean, unfortunately, stranger danger, as as great as that is, Mm -hmm. your kids might be better off with a stranger rather than the people you know. Right. And that's kind of terrible that I just said that. No, but it's it's the case. I actually have investigated uh, cases of most kidnappings, uh, or I wouldn't say most, but a a great vast majority of of the kidnappings are domestic kidnappings where uh, either an estranged parent, sometimes you even have... Um, people that were step parents will then go back and kidnap these children. It happens all the time, all the time. And that's the scary thing. I mean, I think that's why it's so important that we do have prevention. We do try to approach this from every side, every angle possible through through home, uh, through church, through school, and and not just think, oh, well, we'll teach them this when they turn 10 or when they turn 12 or 8. I, mean, I think it has to be an ongoing conversation. In fact, um, a couple of years ago, I was interviewing two young women who they had both been raped their freshman year of college. And because one was by a boyfriend and the other one was by a friend, neither one of them knew to call what had happened them to them rape. Right. And that's always stuck with me. So my foundation, the Elizabeth Smart Foundation, we've started something called Smart Talks, where we are working with universities to come in and have a open, frank conversation about exactly what rape is, what sexual violence is, where it can come from, how it affects you, how your body reacts, how your mind reacts, and, and hopefully where you can turn to for help. We just had our first one. We had it at BYU in Utah, and we had about a 1,000 people show up. Wow. And I think that's just, I mean, that's right there proof of how needed this is, how much interest there is in it. Yeah. And I, I can't help but say that all these women, these strong women that are coming out and uh, lowering these sexual allegations that you see on television, whether it be Hollywood or D.C., they are uh, they're adding to the strength of, of women and just people in general to say that, you know, this has happened to me or I don't want this to happen. And, um, well, you know, I tweeted out to your foundation right after I watched your show that I believe your show, whether it be the movie or the part where you uh, gave a, an account of what happened. I don't remember which one came on first. I think uh, your account came on after the movie. Um, but that should be shown in school. 
I think every year people should see this so that they are aware of the potential of these things. Well, thank you. Um, that's extremely kind of you to say so. <laughs> but um, it's I'm important. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. But it is very important. I mean, whether it's you know watching watching my show or just having these frank, open conversations, because every now and then, you know, there'll be a high-profile case that'll come to the media, and we'll all talk about it for a minute, and then and then it'll kind of die away as soon as the next big story comes along, and it just kind of gets forgotten by the by the wayside, and. That's not enough. We need to have these ongoing conversations. We can't allow them to forget. I mean, at the at our first Smart Talk, um, I just had multiple, multiple women come forward to me and disclose to me how they didn't feel like they could ever be loved again. They were scared to get into relationships again because they felt that they were damaged goods, that what had happened to them was somehow their fault, and now they can't move forward from it. So not only should we be addressing this from a preventative side, but we should also be addressing it from a a human side um, and, and help people to realize that Another person's actions cannot take away your worth as an individual because that was that was probably the most heartbreaking thing for me that evening that we had our smart talks. It wasn't me, you know, talking about my story or talking about things that are generally hard to talk about. It was afterwards hearing girls coming up to me saying that that they've been abused and that they couldn't make friends or that they wanted to have a boyfriend but they were too scared to or how do you talk about it with a significant other? So um, I think it needs to be approached from all sides. How did you do that? You know, I noticed one thing also in your show was that you didn't appear as a victim. You appeared as somebody that uh, had a traumatic uh, thing happen, but you didn't look at it from a, a victimized standpoint. I, I found that fascinating. And I, and when you talk about how now you're married and you have kids, how um, you and you were able to date. How did you keep from going into that victim mindset? First of all, that is my son in the background. That's so. all right. No, he's got plenty to say. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mind him. Um, when, well, no, when I was kidnapped, I mean, I was very much that little girl who dreamed of, you know, meeting her Prince Charming and, you know, getting married and living happily ever after and having a family and all that entails. I mean, that was very much me before I was kidnapped. And when I was kidnapped, I felt like all of those dreams and hopes for my future had been ripped away. And I remember when I came home, I felt like they'd all been given back. Now, I think had I been in a culture where arranged marriages were common or where, I don't know, it's not uncommon to have extreme marital gaps um, in age, I think I think those things probably very much would have affected me, but I came home. I was only 15, so I was able to go back. And I mean, you can never truly reclaim everything that's been taken from you once you've been kidnapped and sexually assaulted. But to as much of an extent as I could, I did. And I was able to go through those experiences of, you know, holding a boy's hand for the first time and going on my first date and eventually having my first kiss. And it was almost 10 years from the time that I was kidnapped to the time that I actually got married. And so I think that was an important time period for me to grow and mature and experience more parts of life and different relationships uh, until ultimately I was ready to get married. And um, I think that's... You allowed the healing process to happen. 
Yeah, and I think that's been true on a lot of things. And I've seen how, um, well, I've just, I've come to learn and appreciate and be continually humbled and amazed at just how many people uh, did pray for me and did search for me. And as I was able to heal and grow, I realized that this is something that I can do to say thank you. And not only to say thank you, but something that I feel very strongly about, very passionate about, that I want to see change happen because I know how terrible it is to be kidnapped. I know how terrible it is to be sexually assaulted and abused. Right. Listen, unfortunately, I got I to gotta cut it there because we have to go to a break. Uh, but... Um, I will have you back on any show that I'm hosting, and I want to get a copy of my book to you as well. And so I'll be in touch with you. Okay, sounds great. You got it. And so, and also, I want to tell everybody that your book is coming out as well, where there's hope. It comes out in March, and they can follow you on Facebook, Instagram, and Facebook. And again, Elizabeth Smart, I can't thank you enough for all you're doing for the young people out there. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. God bless. Have a great Thanksgiving. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for my good buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Call in number is 800-941-7326. That's 800-941-SEAN. I'm going to be taking your calls for the next 30 minutes, all right? So I want calls. I want to know. You don't have to tell me your story, but I want to hear from people. If something happened to you, how? what would you have done differently to prepare yourself for this? You don't have to give me your name. And if you, you know, I just want to hear some more information. I want everybody else to hear it so we can be more prepared for Thanksgiving. We'll be right back here in just a minute. If you haven't gone out and ordered my show, my book, go to uh, Amazon and get Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And remember, I do a show every night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. It's called The Experts. Right now, you're going to be the experts. Call in. This is Jonathan Gillum filling back in for Sean Hannity day before Thanksgiving. And I uh, can't thank Sean and Linda and Lauren and Ethan and everybody else. There's like, I don't know, 50 people that work back here. It's like a massive, massive uh, organization of people. There's that make two this. people sitting here right now. <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So there's two. I'm just trying to make it, you know, seem like, it's, listen, it's a well-oiled machine. I'll give you that. They, out of all the teams that I've ever worked with, this is the type of place, I know this sounds like I'm kissing up, but they have me on here anyway, so I don't have to kiss up anymore. It, it's the type of place where you want to come to work. And so many people that um, that work in different environments in the entertainment industry or whatever, they in news and media, they don't necessarily look forward to coming to work. Uh, and I think it, a lot of it starts with Sean. It just works its way down the way that, that everything is set. If you're a manager and you're out there listening to this, you need to stop for a second and think, why do people not like you? I'm not saying, I mean, first of all, you need to find out people don't like you. If you're a manager, probably people are not going to like you. Either you're, you're a good manager, which there's always going to be people that don't like you, or maybe you should start setting the example uh, and, and help people want to show up to work. You know, that's, listen, I'm kind of getting off the subject here, but. but that's the case. Everywhere I've ever worked, and I've worked in four different federal agencies, one state agency, it's um, and now working in different entertainment. Uh, I keep saying entertainment; it's really news and radio, but it's really entertainment. But so let's. I tell you what we're gonna do. I was, I was saying we're gonna go to some calls today, and I want to go. I want to start with. Um, let's start with Mark in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, because not only uh, women. You know, there's all this talk about women uh, who are being sexually assaulted in the, in the news, or that these things are going on. 
you got to realize this can happen to other people. Down in Tampa, there's been several men killed by this serial killer. So this can be uh, something that happens to men as well. So, Mark, you say you were jumped. What exactly happened? Well, sir, uh, good afternoon. Uh, I was stationed in the Republic of Korea at the time. I was uh, based out of Seoul, Yongsan, there on main post. And we didn't have a lump room in all the barracks, so I got put downtown. I had an apartment. So one night, I got off work about 2 a.m. I've been getting ready for an IG inspection all day, so I've been up since like 4 in the morning. I was tired, walking back to my apartment, and all of a sudden, a Korean gentleman steps out in front of me, asked me for my wallet, and I wasn't going to give it to him. So he, Next thing you know, so he like tried. I, he I tried the he tried the cordial approach at first. Would you please give me your wallet? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he was exactly polite. <laughs> you know, he's pretty right, straight to the point. Right. I told him basically not only no, but hell no, and get out of my way. And then I got hit from behind. So the next thing you know, you know, I was on my face, and there's several people there using me for a soccer ball. So this was, a, was this was a group of people. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I was pretty fit. You know, back then I was I was in my early 20s, uh, worked in the motor pool. I could yank a winch off in front of one of those five-ton trucks back then. I was just quite an animal. And all I thought was, these guys are going to kill me for my wallet. Right. So even though I, I had taken kung fu for about a year and a half, I had martial arts training, you know, like worked out and sparred all the time. All that went out the window. And all I knew was, these guys are going to try to kill me. So I just went... I went animal. I knew I was fighting for my life. Mm-hmm. So I was able to, and I, to this day, I couldn't tell you how I got back on my feet, and I just started pulling at him, punching at him. I gave him everything I had. It was just pure animal survival. And I got one of their ears, and it, was, it wasn't pretty. Right. But I guess from them screaming and yelling because I was wailing on them, they took off. And I think the only reason I survived was because I didn't hold anything back. So let me ask you this, uh, Mark. When So you were in the military, I guess, correct? That's why you were there? Were yes, you? sir. So thank you for your service, uh, first off. And do you do you think that even in the military, I think this is a, a, something that people think because, you know, I was in the military as well, that force protection is just going to be something that we automatically know that you're not going to be put in harm's way. But, you know, like you said, you, you were put off base. What do you think that you could have done differently? Or let's say you. I mean, the military uh, inevitably could have always done something differently. But what do you think you, yourself, from a targeting perspective, what could you have done differently that would be the lesson that you would teach people? Not the fact that you fought them off. Because, you know, there's actually, to tell you the truth, um, I'm glad you did. But there's a lot of people who aren't going to be strong enough to fight somebody off. What would you have done differently um, to actually... D- look at this from a critical standpoint and say, this may be a critical area and me going to and from work may be a critical time. What could you have done differently to maybe avoid that? Well, first and foremost, I would have raised my level of situational awareness. I think I grew complacent, even though there was those type of petty crimes that went on all the time. I would say number two, I should have taken probably some different routes back and forth to work. I got into a pattern I, you know, got comfortable, thought it was okay, uh, and it just, as soon as that individual stepped in front of me, I should have been aware that there may have been somebody behind me. I just, 
I was tired. I was run down. But I let down my guard, and I set up a pattern. And right. I think that's what set me up to be attacked. Well, they know. You know, people typically, as, as I've been talking about all day, is that bad guys, it doesn't matter if it's uh, somebody who's going to uh, rob you, if it's somebody uh, that's going to break into your house, whether it's a pedophile or whether it's, uh, you know, you're facing an enemy on the battlefield. Or even, you know, as a SEAL and an FBI agent, we build target packages. That's what that's what attackers do. If you If you alleviate or get rid of, you know, bad guy, good guy, and you say attackers, all attackers will build some sort of a target package. And I can guarantee you that these people knew that where base housing, off-base housing was and the routes people would take, and they know that people get complacent. And that's how they, they knew who to look for. They knew, um, you know, uh, what days to target you and so on and so forth. A lot of times they'll target people around payday. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Complacency is one of the most uh, self-imposed, vulner- biggest self-imposed vulnerabilities that we have as a human being. You don't see uh, antelope on the plains of Africa hanging out with lions and being complacent. They're always on alert. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, listen, we're glad, I'm glad that you made it through that, and thank you for sharing that. Um, and, uh, and letting people know that, you know, how important this, uh, complacency issues is and God bless you. And thank you for your service and have a great, uh, Thanksgiving. Let's go to Colleen in Wisconsin. Hi, thank you for having me on the show. You got it. Um, interesting conversations. It's sad for my kids to, and they're older, young adults now. Um, but I've always made them quite aware to be responsible, especially my daughter. Now, my sons know how to respect women, but my daughter knows how to respect herself. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to put the pressure now on women for once because you're not hearing this enough. I think women need to take responsibility of themselves and their bodies. We want to be equal to men. Well, to be equal to men, you're, you're not going to get it because we're completely two different creatures, right. two different types of people. And I look in the workplace, and I remember in the 80s when I was young, uh, a guy coming up to me, hey, Toots, Toots, banging his hand on the counter, wanting my attention. And I looked at him firmly, and I said, you want service, you will call me miss or ma'am. And he knew right then and there I meant business. Mm -hmm. I think the sad thing today is with Hollywood, what they're depicting women to be and become are really sad for my kid, my, my daughter, for one. How can she measure up to that? And do I want her to measure up to that? I mean, do I want her to feel that she gets empowerment by sexual looks and, and what she says or to look perfect? I almost kind of wonder in situations like the ones that are being called upon. Now, not all of them, and I'm not talking about the ones that were kids being offended by these sex offenders or by someone like Al Franken when someone's asleep. I'm talking about, I want that job. I'll do anything to get that job. Right. What are these women doing? I want to hold them accountable to you want to be respectful or get respect to dress respectful. Don't be dressing like you're walking the streets. I mean, we got to start holding ourselves accountable as women as well. I mean, that's, that's important, too. I mean, I don't like to defame someone. You have to look at all counterparts here. Mm-hmm. you got to take it apart and say, okay, what are we doing? If we want to change the culture, we're going to hard step and start looking at ourselves. Yeah, see, that's, and how are we going to change the culture? It's interesting because on the other shows that I've hosted as well, I'm getting more calls. I'm not getting any calls from men saying what you're saying because, I, quite frankly, I don't think uh, men are – 
going to put themselves out there to be slaughtered if they said that. It's interesting because the calls I've gotten from women, they are saying that more and more that, um, not saying that people in the way that they dress, that they ask for it, but uh, especially with the case of people in certain career fields where they identify, like Harvey Weinstein was known for this, and yet right. they, they still allow themselves to be put into that right. position instead of trying uh, to maneuver. Or, or why did that? Why did that woman allow that Al Franken to touch her butt or touch her breast for that pose for that picture? Did it give her empowerment? Like I'm going to be, there's going to be more press out there for me if I do this. I I, I kind of think okay, maybe you're in the wrong, women. You're in the wrong because what you're allowing is wrong. Yeah. And what you're allowing my daughter to think is acceptable, or any young women out there that think that's acceptable isn't. Yeah. Let Just me. Get what you let me let me say let me say this though about Leanne Tweeden, you know I think she gave ample warnings to Al Franken, and then Al Franken came on strong. The other thing, when she was asleep, I don't care if you're a comedian or not, that's unacceptable, and that's no excuse that I'm a comedian. You know I I do agree with you that uh, women should um, be aware of the positions that they're putting themselves in. I don't know about the dress and all this stuff. I, I'm not somebody who can judge somebody based on what they're wearing and stuff. And I truly believe that no matter what somebody is wearing, it doesn't matter if they walk into a, in an area and people are, and somebody feels the need to, to demean them or have power over them. That has nothing really. The truth is has nothing to do with what they're wearing. Um, if, somebody uh, is going to do that, they're going to be that kind of person that's going to catcall or hit on or or not just ask somebody out, but continuously go after somebody to the point where they have to get, uh, for instance, a uh, restraining order. I mean, this is this is that that's the fact is that awareness is, is key all the way around in all of this. And if we are aware and you're aware of your surroundings and you think like an attacker, you're going to be able to determine who these people are. Ultimately, that's what's going to And then you'll know how to act, not just react. This is Jonathan Gillum. We're going to take a break right now. Call in numbers 800-941-7326, 800-941-SEAN. We're going to come back. Got a good call from Russ in, in Virginia about churches. I've been waiting to talk about this as well. Don't tune out. Stay tuned in. You're going to learn a lot on today's show. We're getting away a little bit from all these uh, news headlines, but we'll cover some of that as well. And go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. It's available right now on Amazon for pre-order. We'll be right back. The land of the free because of the brave. It's the Sean Hannity Show. is Jonathan Gilman filling in for Sean Hannity, and we're talking today about awareness and with all these different things going on, terrorist attacks, uh, sexual assaults, all these different things, I felt it was important, especially before Thanksgiving the holidays, to come on and talk about awareness. And real quick, because uh, I'm not going to have very long before another break, let's go to Russ in Virginia to talk about um, the church security. Go ahead, Russ. What's your question? 
Hey, JT. How you doing? I just wanted to say that uh, uh, my church has got me doing security for them. Yep. And I'm trying to teach those that uh, haven't handled a weapon uh, to also be aware and that it may be one of their final things to do is to pick up that weapon. And I don't want them to be afraid of it. Uh, we have several people who carry and uh, we're we're having training sessions with the weapons and target practice because if you don't use it, you lose it. You know, so here's here's one thing. I, I'm working with them, and I'm just wondering if there's anything else that I can do to uh, get them more aware of their surroundings. Absolutely. You know, Russ. One of the things I'm limited on time here. One of the things that you can do is you can identify the critical areas where some an attacker could come from. Um, it, although it could be just inside the church and somebody stands up and does something. The other, so people need to realize this. The whole congregation needs to realize this. They also, your congregation needs to know how they should act. Just simply lying on the ground is not going to cut it. If somebody comes in there and they start shooting and they're able to get off rounds and then they start to reload or they hide, you know, it's time to fight or escape and evade. Evade means you're going to go from cover and concealment to cover and concealment until you can work your way out of that. The other thing I would really highly recommend is that you all purchase airsoft guns um, similar to the pistols that you all have and then uh, ha- set up uh, you know, some role players to come in there and uh, have, uh, have some uh, role-playing scenarios where they can actually draw the weapon and shoot at the person coming in with the airsoft gun. And that is huge. You are not going to believe how big that is when it comes to actually getting the mindset that you're going to need. The other thing is, you know, a good friend of mine owns uh, Vets Manu- Veterans Manufacturing. That's VetsMFG.com. And he's got backpacks that have uh, ballistic uh, shields in them and all kinds of different things. And you can go on there. It's VetsMFG, V-E-T-S-M-F-G.com. And you can, you can put in this code. You'll get a discount. It's uh, JTG10. But I would recommend that, building the awareness, and then also practice. Because not just target practice but actually shooting when you're under stress. And you can do that with Airsoft and actually um, and actually have a good outcome. Remember, awareness is the key in all of this. This John the Gillum will be right back for more on the Sean Hannity Radio Show, 800-941-7326, 800-941-SEAN. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival at Amazon. We'll be right back. Talk to Sean Hannity. Check him out on Twitter. You can find him under at Sean Hannity. This is Jonathan Gill. I'm filling in for my buddy Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Calling number is 800-941-7326. 800-941-SEAN. For those of you who like to spell uh, numbers, I always like to say that's my little that's my little thing. Spelling numbers. Why people spell that? We don't have rotary phones anymore. I don't even know why. Anyway. People like to have options. <laughs> So here we've been talking all day about um, awareness and how important it is. You know, I'm calm when I talk about it because I deal with this stuff a lot, right? So you're not going to hear me getting all amped up in these stories and telling this stuff uh, because I've dealt with this stuff. And the FBI, when I ran the special events program, sounds like uh, like I'm putting on parties. That's not what it was. 
I was the guy who uh, went around the city and identified uh, areas that could be targeted and uh, did operations orders and threats, threat assessments for uh, large events that would have a huge draw like the Macy's Day Parade uh, or small events that may still have a large draw like when Glenn Beck did his first, um, his first um, it was like almost like Facebook Live, but it was on the Internet. It predated the blaze, and it was right next to Times Square. So I was constantly evaluating things from a, an attacker's point of view so that I could identify um, the critical areas that they would attack, uh, the critical times for those areas, the vulnerabilities that they would exploit, and the attacker's avenue of approach. And that's what I want you all to continue to concentrate on and what the critical uh, assets are that they will be going after. Right? So if, it's a, if you are uh, the facilitator in a mall, or you may be looking at the uh, food court as a critical area, and of course there's going to be certain times when that food court is full, those are critical times. If you work in a high-rise building, your air conditioner may be the, the critical uh, asset that they're wanting to attack um, because they're wanting to, uh, maybe somebody wants the day off. I don't know. <laughs> it's not always that nefarious. But let me just tell you this. The next guest that I have on here, he's joining me now, uh, Mason Wells. It, it, unbelievable. So you're, and you're an author. Uh, Left Standing is the miraculous story of how Mason Wells survived. And I'm not, you're not even going to believe this when I tell you. The book's called Left Standing. He survived the Boston terrorist attack, Paris terrorist attack, and the Brussels terrorist attack. So first of all, um, I don't know if you want to go into your career field now where you're at. I don't know if you're allowed to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah, we, we, can, we can go into that. Okay, so you're in the Naval Academy. Yeah. I'm so you've been Academy. screened to make sure that you're not with ISIS. Yeah, I, I, I submitted my background <laughs> check, if that's what you're asking. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so um, I'm just joking with you there. But oh, yeah. I, will, I will tell you, this is pretty interesting that you happen to be at all these places. Now, what particular, was it just random circumstance that you happened to end up at these things? Were you running the marathon in one? Were you a spectator in oh, another? Yeah, so I, I'll go into that. So with, with Boston, my mom was actually running the Boston Marathon in 2013. Yep. And me and my dad were heading back towards the finish line, uh, actually trying to find her because she finished the race before we got back there. And we were about 50 to 70 meters away when the first bomb went off in Boston. Um Afterwards, when the the attacks in Paris happened, I, during the Charlie, Heb- Charlie Hebdo shooting, I was actually in Rouen, and then during the Paris bombings, I was actually in Cali. So I was outside of Paris at the time. Uh, I, I can say that being over there left me with a lot of reflections about, um, you know, these sorts of events, why God allows these things to happen, you know, what, why do good thing, bad things happen to good people, those sorts of questions. And then with Brussels, I was about 10 feet away when uh, the first Brussels airport bomb went off. Wow. That's just a, listen, there's certain things that, you can't say that's a coincidence. I don't think this is a coincidence. I think the fact that you were so close to these, um, hopefully he's doing this too so that you can tell the story uh, about this. Well, yeah, there's certainly a lot of things that I've learned. and We did screen the building today, right? There's yes. no, uh, <laughs> we locked it down. Okay. Extra heightened security. <laughs> now, as long as you're right next to me, you're fine. Um, but, uh, no, it's, it's, it's definitely left me with a lot of questions. It's, mm-hmm. Most people don't experience one terrorist attack, let alone multiple bombings, Right. right? And I, I've definitely contemplated what that means for me. Ultimately, this book and what, what, we, what we wrote and what I wrote um, gave me a chance to, to put everything out there and to share my story and to, to provide a little bit of hope to people. And that's why I did this in the first place. Let, um, me, let me ask you this. It, was there differences in the atmosphere before and after the attack uh, happened for each place? Was there something similar 
to the uh, atmosphere. Yeah, so it's actually interesting. I, I can look and see the differences as well as the similarities in everything that I've experienced. When I was in Boston, the response happened fairly quickly. Within one to two minutes, you had police cars, ambulances, everything rushing to the scene, sure. almost running into people, pedestrians standing still as they tried to weave out of these massive groups of people fleeing the scene. Um, when it came to Brussels, though, the response was a lot slower. I mean, yeah. it took me three hours to finally leave that airport in an ambulance to the hospital. So if you can imagine, I'm, I'm sitting wow. there with third-degree burns, shrapnel, um, you know, a ruptured Achilles tendon, wounds to the point where I couldn't even get up and walk. And I'm, I'm out there in the cold for about three hours. It, it was a long, it was a long ride, and it certainly left me with a lot of time to contemplate. So, and where were you during the Paris attack? During the Paris attacks, I, I was outside of Paris when, okay. when they happened. And Paris was a city we were in regularly. I'd been in northern Paris the the week before the attacks, and um, those those attacks left a lot of the French people as well as us with, with questions and. People were angry. People were scared. And those reflections are in the book, and that's why I've put it in there. So, out of uh, I know you were injured in the Brussels attack mm-hmm. at the airport, but which one would you say affected you the most? Did they all affect you mm-hmm. uh, in different ways? Well, yeah. And I, Boston, I think, definitely uh, shattered some of that innocence that I had about the world, right? I was 16 at the time, and I was really confused as to what was going on. Once I realized it was a bomb, uh, that was that was that was scary for sixteen year old. Right. Um, by the time Brussels came around, I I you're kind like, of damn accepted. it! <laughs> I just said there's, I mean, I I'd kind of ex- I had accepted, and, th- and this isn't a good thing, but I kind of accepted that terrorism just happens wherever you go, and that shouldn't it happens be the where new- you go. That's yeah, for sure. well, it, it shouldn't be the new normal, right? It shouldn't be the new normal. And uh, when I got to Brussels, actually being severely injured, um, it made me realize that there is. Uh, there's there's definitive good and definitive evil in this world, and the people that perpetrate these acts of violence, they're evil people, and we can't we can't we, we have to stand up to that. Here's something that I want you to take to heart in this because I've you know studied this quite a bit, and it was part of my field when I was in the FBI. Yes, people, I like to look at uh, at these fundamentalists, these Islamic fundamentalists. First of all, we have to call them for what it is. This mm-hmm. is fundamental Islam. It's not radical Islam. It's the same Islam that was practiced by Muhammad 1400 years ago. So the reality is. The people, there's a, a lot of people that, uh, I would say the majority of people who actually commit jihad in the name of Islam have are very religious people. They're just following something that, uh, or they've been twisted in a way where uh, they go down this uh, evil path. But I have to say, like most people who are part of cults, they may not be evil people, but what they believe in and what they've been led down is is an evil thing. And that is scare, more scary than an evil person. An e- evil ideology will literally uh, cloud the judgment of millions of people for over a long period of time versus an evil person who will do, like in a mass shooting, something very evil for a short period of time, and it's that person. Yeah, well, one thing I will say is, as, as a, an ecclesiastical missionary for my church, I was out on the roads talking with people every single day. That's what we did. And I, I think that the people that did these horrible acts in Europe don't represent... Uh, the feelings of most of the people, uh, the most of the I- Islam or Muslim people that I met uh, walking the roads. Um, that being said, we, we can't dismiss these acts of violence. It's not okay. Just, right. even, I, I was able to forgive and get past that and move on with hope. And, um, you know, I hope most people w- that are involved in these attacks can. But that doesn't make uh, what the, they do dismissible. dismissible. I mean, right. we, we have to fight this. And you can forgive all you want. Doesn't mean that it's going to stop on their part. Yeah, and um, you know Which, the, the let book. Me, let me say this one thing: forgiveness. Um, I hear this a lot in missionaries. I'm a, I'm a Baptist, and mm-hmm. so people go down range. I call it. To, they go to other countries to do missions to help out and stuff. 
we should never do two things. You should never say, I'll be protected by God because God's giving you a protection by making you aware. That's the first thing. You have to protect yourself. The second thing is you can't say that um, I'm going to forgive this person and then turn a blind eye. Because like mm-hmm. I said earlier today, that one of the quotes from Churchill is that uh, you don't try to reason with a, with a lion or tiger when you have your head in the lion's mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, but go ahead. Oh, yeah, I, I was just going to say that I, I'm, I'm not going to be one to propose what we should do on a government scale or what nations should be doing. But what I can say as individuals is, you know, r- kind of r- rooting out that fear in ourselves is essential to, to continuing, continuing our lives. We can't let right. these things define us. We can't let these things change how we think about travel, how we think about our families. Uh, ultimately, we need to find hope and better times to come. And I think there will be a day when uh, the prevalence of these attacks and these mass shootings slows down. And I hope it stops. I hope it stops soon. Uh, but until then, I think we just need to have faith in a higher power and, and do our best as citizens to be decent people and, and address it where where we can. Now, let me ask you this. I don't disagree with you there. I mean, that's the way we're going to that's the way you you're not a victim is by you continue to keep that mentality. People do need to be aware, though, that there are people that wake up and their sole goal in life is to do bad things. There, yeah, those people. I, I agree. There's people. If you had to and I asked Elizabeth Smart this just a little while ago. Um. We're being inundated by Utahians. Is it Utahian? Utahns. 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 So if you if you had to go back, or if you had the chance to go back and educate yourself from the before the first uh, attack up through the third one, what is something that you would have done to make yourself more aware of the potential and the area that was so critical where these things happened? Because one thing about the attacks that you were involved with is mm-hmm. that. I could identify in my you yeah. know, in my career as a targeting expert, I could clearly identify the end of the Boston Marathon where they weren't doing sweeps, mm-hmm. they were allowing backpacks. I could say that in Brussels, the attack happened at the arrival, not the departure. Correct? Yeah, right? it happened at the check-in lines. Yeah. Uh, a large no, group of people it, it, just the, yeah. before security. Yeah. Right. Um, so there's, yeah, and security is this, this um, fake uh, uh, thing that we think once you get past security, you're going to be safe. But they think anything around security is going to be safe. That's not necessarily true. But, but what are the things that you could have done to increase your awareness that people need to realize? Oh, well, I think one thing is realizing when you're in a large group of people and doing your best to, if not stay on the edges, just just plan accordingly, right? Just being aware of the the kinds of people that are around you. Right. Um, if there's a, and this goes for for a lot of different things. When we were in France, that we had a lot of manifestations. They're pretty much riots and protests, and those kind of erupted out of nowhere sometimes. And so essentially just keeping your head on a swivel, trying to stay away from big groups where you can. And um, like, like I said, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a common sense thing. I don't think we should live our lives in, in fear of these sorts of things. That being said, um, you know, do your best to, to keep your head on a swivel and also be pre- know how to respond if something like this happens. Um, if you can give help and you, you're someone that knows basic first aid, then by all means stay and help somebody. But if, if you have kids with you, if you know you're not going to be able to help, Get as far away as possible from the scene. Yeah. Uh, when, when I was injured in Brussels, actually, at the airport, uh, about 45 minutes after the bombs had gone off, someone started shooting. There was actually an active shooter that hardly anyone ever reported. Another and bad guy? or is this... Another bad guy, yeah. A man with the Glashnikov that was shooting people, as people put it. And he, he essentially started shooting the, the people that were there. Military police took him down really fast. But it's... That that happened forty five minutes after the initial bombings, right? right? So you know, don't secondary don't, text. Yeah, yeah, don't don't stand there with your cell phone and, and film what's going on or take pictures. I mean, it's important that some of these things be documented, of course. But you know, if if 
you can't help or you know that's not practical for you to help, get get away. Get, get, keep, get yourself in a safe spot. It's interesting. A lot of the stuff that you're pointing out is not just individual, but citywide level thinking, right? So like in Boston, you know, there could have been more screening beforehand. Uh, the response afterwards could have been more um, of a, a tactical response in the way of after the initial attack and after they got the second guy, the mayor goes on and tells everybody, we got him. Well, they don't know who else is involved with that. You know, and in Brussels, uh, and, and in both of these uh, attacks overseas, you saw the slow response, which means that they're not, they're not prepared for it, the, the, the authorities. But overall, the main thing that you said there is groups, large groups. You know, there needs to be a better way that the cities mitigate these large groups. And the individual can do that by trying to stay out of those large groups. Yeah, and again, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna propose anything on like a state or a. You will though when you graduate from the Naval <laughs> Academy, you'll be proposing yeah. a bunch. Uh, yeah, hopefully a little a little wiser too. Um, ultimately, I I think that we can go a long way to to making the all of this better by just being decent people, by being aware of the people around us, by being sincere, by by taking the time to to invest in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if we can root out some of the, this anger and this hate, um, obviously it doesn't make what they did permissible, but rooting out that anger and that hate, that starts with us, and I think that's yeah. important. I agree with you. My, my take on it is I want to be like Peter in the Bible where, you know, I'm a rock, but a little bit more of an aggressive edge. An aggressive <laughs> it's edge. called violence of action. <laughs> but listen, I can't thank you enough. Everybody, you need to go out and get this book. Uh, Mason Wells, uh, the name of the book is Left Standing. Unbelievable story. He was in Boston, Paris, and Brussels attacks. Thank you very much, my friend. Can't thank you enough. And be safe. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And exit the building quickly. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity. Call in numbers 800-941-7326. We'll be right back. Old Inspired Solutions for America. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Jonathan Gillum filling back in for my good buddy, Sean Hannity, on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. And, uh, man, that was interesting. We have had so many interesting people talking today about different types of things that they've been involved with, whether it be abduction, whether it be terrorist attacks. And uh, this is where I want people to focus and realize that the fact is it can happen to you. You know, everybody always talks about lottery and they say that um, I'm not going to play a lottery because I'm never going to win that. Well, somebody does eventually win the lottery. Your chances are just as good as theirs. So the same thing with an attack. If you just keep saying, not me, not me. Well, eventually guess what? It might be you. So uh, why don't we, we're going to take another break here in just a second. While we're taking a break, go to Amazon and order sheep. No more the art of awareness and attack survival. And then call in 800-941-7326. I'll be taking your calls eventually. I'll get to those. Coming up next is my good buddy, Scott Eulinger, and Dr. Shiva Ayuduri, I believe is how you say his name. This is going to be incredible. We'll be right back. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show on radio stations all throughout the universe. I believe they even have them on other planets and locations throughout the galaxy. I don't know. That's what I've been told. (laughs) 
So next, who I'm going to have coming up now is my good buddy, Scott Ulinger and Dr. Uh, Shiva Ayodori. Um, Scott Ulinger is a congressional candidate for Pennsylvania's 5th District. He's a former CIA operations officer and co-host of the podcast, The Station Chief. You can find him on Twitter, at The Station Chief. And Dr. Shiva, as he's called, a.k.a. Dr. Shiva, is a Massachusetts U.S. Senate candidate running against uh, Elizabeth Warren. Uh, and uh, I can't thank you guys both enough. So, Dr. Shiva, you know, I had you on David Webb's show with me the other day, and you just said in passing that you, you invented email and, and when you were at MIT, which is very interesting because Scott Eulinger used to work for the CIA where they read all our emails. So that's interesting. That's right. Yeah, the CIA was reading them while I was creating it. Yeah, I mean, I actually did it, believe it or not, before I came to MIT when I was a 14-year-old kid in a small medical college in Rutgers University. You guys probably remember in the old days, remember the secretary had the inbox, outbox folders? Right. Remember the old pneumatic tubes? I converted that to the electronic form, called it, email, got the first U.S. copyright, and wrote 50,000 lines of code before I came to MIT. But that was the first email system. Wow. Uh, we're not talking about text messaging. Wow. Yeah. And, Scott, you're running for, I'm sorry, I, I, I said this wrong, Pennsylvania's 15th district. I think I said 5th. It's 15th That's district. Right. Um, That's right. The um, the incumbent the incumbent congressman decided to follow the path of uh, Flake and Corker and not seek re-election because he's basically blocking the Trump agenda. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. So the reason I want to have you guys on together is because I know you, Scott. I talked to you, Doctor Shiva, uh, last uh, week or two weeks ago, and you both are not establishment people. You are you are both individuals who are experienced free thinkers. And you have the three, the big three things that make up wisdom, which we have none, and it seems like in Washington D.C. That's knowledge, understanding, and experience. And you all are leaders in your field. How do you? I guess the question, Scott, I'll start with you. When when you go to Washington D.C. and you will, you will be there. What do you feel like is going to be your biggest hurdle? Because you're going to be in, you're really going to be in an environment that is not uh, an environment of your peers. Yeah, that's correct. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, the, the job number one is going to be to do my best um, by the people in my district and, and basically fight a lot of the corruption that we see all around in forms of, you know, the deep state and um, what's going on now with, you know, uh, the ongoing saga of uh, Uranium One and, uh, you know, Fusion GPS and, and things like that. The People are just tired, and they want the swamp to be drained. You have to start somewhere, so I'd like to start with things like that. And what about you, Dr. Shiva? Well, you know, it's interesting. In Massachusetts, if you look at the facts, uh, Massachusetts was rated the lowest in public integrity, which means the best in corruption, the third highest than uh, the national average in opioid addiction, and the worst infrastructure. And if you look at that, that was all brought to you by, um, you know, the parties of Elizabeth Warren, the never Trump or Republican Charlie Baker and Mitt Romney, and all Harvard graduates, by the way. And what's fascinating is Harvard doesn't pay a single dollar in tax. And one of the things we've been asserting really hard is that Harvard is fundamentally a $45 billion uh, fake university pretending to be a – essentially it's a hedge fund. That's what Harvard really is. It's a fake university, uh, which is actually a hedge fund. So, And on the flip side in Massachusetts, for every 17 skilled job openings, only one person is skilled. And so what you really created, or what these guys have created in Massachusetts uh, within the swamp is a lot of educated people 
uh, quote-unquote educated people who are unskilled to take on the 21st century. So the biggest thing we want to do is unleash Votech schools here. We want to uh, ensure that we really start skilling America and really recognize that down the street is where all the nerds are. 33,000 businesses came out of MIT, uh, $2 trillion in revenue for the entire nation uh, in terms of annual revenue being generated. So it's time that everyday working people, blue-collar, high-tech blue-collar workers, uh, everyday people actually run this country, and that's what our campaign is about. So with that being said, that's a, a great segue into this, is right. how do normal blue-collar people run for office? Is there any way that they can do this and not have to subscribe to the establishment mentality? Scott, go ahead. Um, I think I think that that can be done because um, at this point, because now after 2016, we have, uh, you know, the game has changed somewhat. And there are a lot of organizations out there and a lot of individuals who are, who seek to, who believe in the message, they believe in the president's agenda, and they're willing to support candidates who are willing to go against the establishment and support that agenda. So it's never going to be easy. But I think for the first time, you know, uh, in many a year, uh, regular people, citizen politicians, and uh, blue-collar candidates are going to be able to find sources of funding to basically ensure the will of the people is followed. So, and, and go ahead, Dr. Shiva. One of the things, you know, if you look at historically at many of the major phase shifts in American politics, has always been technology. You know, uh, Roosevelt, it was radio. Kennedy, it was TV. Uh, you know, I don't really care for Obama, but he used social media, Trump, Twitter. And the next phase is what we call uh, the use of data warehousing and uh, big data technologies that really help us do targeting but make it accessible. What's happened is the two parties, the GOP establishment and the Democrats, do not make the data available to everyday independent candidates. That's how they control the entire uh, process of, quote-unquote, democracy in this country. One of the things we're doing, uh, uh, you know, given that I got the four degrees from MIT, started a bunch of companies, we've created an infrastructure that we're running to uh, use in our campaign that's innovative technology. Part of what we want to do is we want to make that technology accessible to all independent candidates. It's really going to come down to leveling the playing field. You know, the iPhone has leveled the playing field. Smartphones have leveled the playing field. It's going to come through technology enabling everyone with very little money to compete with the big guys. And that's what's going to get very, very exciting. So, so we, uh, you know, again, it's financially, it's going to be difficult for uh, people to compete because in congressional races, for instance, uh, Scott, th those used to be in the hundreds of thousands. And as we saw down in, um, was that in uh, Alabama, I think it was this last right. year, where it got into the into the tens of millions. Oh, Georgia, that's right. That was Georgia. Right. It, extended into the, yeah. it extended into the millions, that's right. So that, um, I guess in a way, it's a good thing that you start getting national attention on, on local congressional elections, but perhaps along with national attention, you also get an increased need for funding, right? So that's that's something that um, is going to have to be squared away. But uh, fortunately, I found some people who were um, very supportive of my candidacy, and I think they're going to be continuing to be supportive of a lot of other individuals running for Congress across the country who are you know, willing to stand up against the establishment and ensure that the will of the people is you know, carried through. Mm -hmm. Dr. Shiva, you know, you talked about Harvard, for instance, and you know, there's when people think of the deep state now, they're, they're familiar with this. Uh, they're hearing, you know, about uh, whether it be the DOJ or the intelligence communities or even in the DOD, all these different agencies. 
I don't think they realize that the deep state extends past Washington, D.C. into these private entities. Yeah, I mean, if you actually look at the history of the deep state, I call it the military-industrial-academic complex. It's a triangle. Um, President Eisenhower talked about it in his farewell address, and then uh, Fulbright talked about it. He called it actually the military-industrial-academic complex. Eisenhower called it the military-industrial complex. That triangle is based on this notion that they are they're the ones who know better than everyone. Elizabeth Warren's part of that. All the establishment is part of that. What's fascinating is that when you actually look at it, though, for example, innovation or technology, most of the greatest innovations in technology do not come out of the military-industrial complex. They come from everyday people. You know, you asked about the invention of email. You know, a 14-year-old boy is the one who invented the first TV in a small farm in Franklin, Idaho. A 14-year-old kid invented email. The narrative that the military-industrial academic complex likes to put forward is that they're the ones that own everything, and that's why we should so much feel happy that we're funding war as well as sickness, because that's what they profit from. And, you know, when you look at Harvard, it's part of that elite industrial complex. Um, These guys actually do not produce a lot when you really look at it. What they really learn how to do is to move money around. Elizabeth Warren's part of that. She tries to fake what I call she's part of the not-so-obvious establishment, that she cares for the everyday poor black person, poor white person, the working people. But fundamentally, she exists to make sure those people actually want to change stuff get sucked back into the establishment. And that's what's so insidious. You know, it's easy to understand the existing establishment. People like Elizabeth Warren are the more insidious part that are used to basically entrap people to stick on with the establishment. So let me, we only got about a minute and a half left before I got to take a break. Scott, we'll start with you. This is all fascinating stuff. Fascinating that you guys are saying. Go ahead, Scott. It is. It is. And it's, and it's uh, particularly interesting that, you know, that, and, and I agree with, um, with uh, Dr. Shiva. Uh, Dr. Shiva, that that it is it is an, uh, academia is definitely part of that complex. So it's it's rather ironic that in uh, that uh, U.S. academia is one of the leading is uh, in the vanguard of you know anti anti free speech the um, anti free speech impetus that we've been seeing across you know college campuses, not just in Massachusetts but everywhere else. You know, and so ironically. They owe uh, a lot of they owe a lot of uh, their sources of funding to the government, but yet at the same time they're they're creating this PC or they're the leaders of this PC environment that's making it difficult for people to, you know, basically um, exercise their First Amendment rights. Right. Yeah, it's a very interesting. So let me ask you this real quick. Um, about thirty seconds. Uh, we've got about forty-five seconds. What do you think, Scott? From awareness standpoint, I'm talking about awareness all day today. What can people do to make themselves more aware of this establishment politics that you have you've been able to figure it out? What, what, how do you think people can figure this out? Well, I mean, I guess I guess it, unfortunately we've gone down the path where we have to kind of follow the Soviet uh, the old Soviet model. You have to you have to read a lot of disparate sources of information. Mm-hmm. And, and to basically get to assemble the picture of reality that you should be viewing, you can't rely on any one source of information anymore. So, you know, basically, you know, the internet has allowed us now at least we can poke around and access different sources of information to see what is going on around us. So, Doctor, you know, she- the, the old days are over. Doctor Shiva, real quick, um, can do you think there's going to be more people? that are capable of defeating the Elizabeth Warrens coming forward? Or do you think that's it's going to take a while before we get to that point? 
Well, I, you know, in Massachusetts, I'm the only one who actually wants to defeat her and is capable of defeating her. I put in about $1.1 million of my own money. But more importantly, we're creating a broad-based movement. And I think to your earlier question, the biggest way that people can really understand truth from lies is to look at a central principle that nature operates by. Nature is decentralized. Nature never likes to centralize things. And when you start looking at politics and policies, are they for centralization of power or are they for decentralization of power back to the people? It's one of the best ways to start a lens that gives us really the ability to understand truth from lies and the establishment versus the people. Look at how nature operates. Wow. That's it. I'll tell you what, I couldn't ask for two better guests. Hey, listen, God bless you guys, and and good luck in your candidacies, and I will always be there to support both of you because you're outside of the box. Scott Eulinger, congressional candidate for Pennsylvania's 15th district and former CIA operations officer, and Dr. Shiva Ayadori, a.k.a. Dr. Shiva from Massachusetts, running for U.S. Senate uh, candidate against Elizabeth Warren. Get her out of there. Thank you, guys. God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving. You got it. You got it. I'll put your stuff out there when we come back. This is Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity on the Sean Hannity Radio Show. Go get my book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. Follow me on Facebook. Go friend me or like me on uh, on Twitter. And let's get this conversation going. We'll be right back. Good to be back in here day before Thanksgiving. Hope you guys are safe as you drive down the road and you're listening and increasing your awareness. I felt it was important to come on here today to get this one shot as people would be driving. I knew a lot of people would be traveling today um, or it's their last day at work and they're coming home. And I couldn't think of a better time before the holidays to, to really try to train your mind in the reality uh, of what's going on in the world, is where the threats are. They're all around you now, but you don't have to be paranoid. You can systematically understand and pick out where the critical areas, the critical times for those areas, where the vulnerabilities that could be exploited are, and where the attacker's avenue of approach is. For instance, you know, uh, mass killings don't usually happen at 3 a.m. when nobody's around. But you go to an outdoor concert in uh, Las Vegas, surrounded by tall buildings where a sniper could shoot down. That's an easy, cr- uh, identifiable, critical area. And that time is critical when that's happening. And I think if promoters, if law enforcement think this way, they'll be able to actually identify where these things could potentially happen, and then they could go and and actually mitigate these vulnerabilities, such as putting spotters or counter snipers on top of buildings. I don't know why they didn't have that, you know. So we got this is something that we can actually do. Everyday people can do this. You don't have to be in the military or a SEAL. You don't have to be in law enforcement. You can do this yourself. And I know this has sounded a little bit like a uh, an infomercial today, but it's not. Honestly, I wrote this book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, and so that I could get it to, in the hands of every American because I want the people in this country to be empowered. It's gone too long where we've been dependent, where we've been convinced that law enforcement will be there. They may not be there, but you can identify where the attacks may come from and how to mitigate circumstances. It's Jonathan Gillum. I'm going to come back and take some of your calls, and i got a couple good little stories to tell you about awareness. So stay tuned. Go get Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival on Amazon right now. We'll be right back.
This is What's Right with America. You're listening to The Sean Hannity Show. But today, it's Jonathan Gillum filling in for Sean Hannity, my good friend. I hope he's having a great Thanksgiving week, along with Linda, as she's out there somewhere in the uh, far west of the east. She's in the ether, but you know what? She's like (laughs) omnipresent. She's always here, even when she's not here. This is very, very, very true. Um, Listen, they're two of my heroes. Uh, Sean and Linda are not just... um, incredible powerhouses on the, in the radio field and in the, the news field, but they're realistically two amazing people that do so much for so many people. And so I'm very thankful that uh, I met Sean on the set of his show back in 2013. I'm very grateful and thankful that I got to come over and be a part of this team uh, with Linda and everybody else back there. It just, it's just a great place to come and be a part of. So I'm very thankful for that. Now, let, I'm going to take a couple of calls here real quick, and then I want to talk about a couple of stories about awareness. Uh, it's going to kind of throw you for a little bit of a loop here because I, I'm telling you, awareness is one of the, the biggest, uh, most important things that we have lost in this country. We just have lost a complete awareness. Before I even go to the callers, though, I do want to say that uh, one of my listeners from my show, uh, somebody who who takes part in the dialogue on the experts. I do that every night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Facebook, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. And her her name is Petya. She is, I think I'm saying her name right, and she is uh, from uh, Bulgaria. And she was over there when it was a communist nation. Some of the stuff that she has to say is incredible. And like all my other friends that came from communist countries, they see some of the same things going on in this country that they saw over there. And that's because they're aware of this. They're aware of the reality of what, uh, communism, uh, can do. They're aware of the characteristics of it. And so they see these things happening. Anyway, I just wanted to say uh, uh, hello to her son. Uh, I think his name is Merrick Wolf. And, uh, and I hope I'm saying your name, not right. Merrick is that he wrote a list um, of who he would want to have at his uh, his birthday party, I believe it was. And uh, I made the list of one of the special guests that he would want uh, to be there. Although he did put me at number 10. Thank goodness I made it at number 10 because the list stopped at number 10. So Top 10, that's not bad. Yeah, I'm right below Mike and, and, and uh, a couple other good guys, I guess. So <laughs> thank you very much. Listen, if I can get to Florida, I will make sure that I get there. And thank you to all my friends and uh, and listeners and part of the the constitutional quick reaction force. That's what the uh, the people that uh, follow me and that uh, take part in the dialogue and that stand for the Constitution. They're part of the hashtag CQRF. So if you're on Twitter or Facebook, always hashtag CQRF. There's no membership. You believe in the Constitution, you're a part of it. Let's go to uh, Burbank, California. Let's go to Rhonda. Hi there. Hey, how are you, Rhonda? You there? I'm good. I'm just calling to let you, uh, your listeners in on a tip that's, I think, helped me a lot to overcome being um, a victim, and that's just looking at people square in the eye. If you're walking down the road or the sidewalk or the mall or wherever, when someone's passing you, look them in the eye. Acknowledge that you see them. That deters a large percentage of people from, from attacking you. Just just a simple little look at, and wave, hi, how you doing? Just anything to uh, knock them off their game because they want to catch you 
unaware. And if yeah. they if they see you looking elsewhere and all around, like oh, I don't see you, like I'm invisible, they will. They, you're a perfect victim. You are making yourself a victim. So just look people in the eye. That will stop. And I learned that from the Houston Police Department one time when they came out to give us some safety clues. You know, it's it's interesting you say that yeah. because I was just watching a video. I think it was in Miami. There's a girl uh, walking down the sidewalk, and she actually has a pistol in. She has concealed uh, weapons carry permit, and she had the pistol in her purse. And there's a guy walking across the street right towards her, but she doesn't make eye contact with him, and she's not, uh, you know, clutching her purse. And he comes up, pulls out his own gun, pistol whips her, and steals her purse. So, you know, you have to be aware. It, it, it's it just because you make. I you know a lot of people, especially in New York, they don't want to make eye contact with people. But if you're, especially if you're walking down the sidewalk alone, um, you have that concealed weapon carry permit for a reason, and you should be able to get to it. But before you even do that, you should be able to identify the person as they're approaching you. I don't. I really don't think she she had an idea what was getting ready to come. Absolutely. I think that I think the key here is they are looking for a victim. And if you just by looking at them and, and acknowledging, I see you, mm-hmm. you're, you're not making yourself a victim anymore. You've right. already got the upper hand on them. They like to be, be a, like they like to attack people when they're you know, surprised. Right. Right. <laughs> you know, they, and a lot of women do this. You walk down the street, you'll notice a lot of women looking everywhere. But at the person coming towards them. I don't know why they do that. It's almost a submissive act. I don't understand it, but I look at everybody when I'm walking. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. Right. Hey, listen, God bless you, Rhonda. Have a great Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving. you got it. I'm going to, let's see, I'm going to take, uh, I'll take one more call. I got to tell a story here real quick. Let's go to Steve in Illinois. Go ahead, Steve. Hi. Uh, I'm calling. I want swift justice. My formula, formula stops repeat offenders which is quite often for the American people. Everything you're talking about sounds well and fine, sir. But the bottom line that seems never talked about is executing these perpetrators instead of the taxpayer housing and feeding these pieces of garbage. Good example is the Boston bomber. He should be hung on national TV or at the very least put to death in some form or another. Do you not agree? Well, I think Texas sets the standard of the way I believe justice should be. Texas doesn't waste time. Florida's very similar. Um, When they identify somebody who's done such a heinous act, um, they they take them out. They they you know they're no longer a citizen of the United States. They're no longer a citizen of the Earth at that point. And but Texas is um, they're quick with their justice. Unfortunately, you know, Steve, you live in Illinois, and people in Boston again very liberal. New York very liberal. Majority of these large metropolis areas around the country are very liberal uh, and very dependent on the government and on law enforcement, and so. They get into a weird mindset of of forgiveness or they get in a weird mindset of, you know, twisted morals. Let's not kill this guy, you know, because, uh, you know, it's OK to kill a child uh, in the womb and have an abortion. But we don't want to, you know, kill this person that, that committed this act and literally killed people. So it's a real weird, twisted uh, type of mentality uh, that's been drilled into a lot of people's heads. And I really literally think it has a lot to do with the left. And it has a lot to do with the larger cities. You don't see this in the more rural areas in their way of thinking. The United States should be united, though. I totally agree with you. But here's the problem. The United States has been subverted um, by what I believe is communist uh, subversives. And they have worked their way into the educational system, into Hollywood. They've worked their way, uh, as we were talking about earlier with Dr. Shiva, into the, um, the Ivy League schools and all the universities. 
they're definitely in the Democratic Party. I believe they're in the Republican Party as well. And then that's a big problem is that most people are just not aware that communism is still a real thing and that subversion is a real thing. They're just not aware of it. And and all this stuff, Steve, is just a way to to divide us ultimately. Thank you very much. You got it. And God bless you. Have a great Thanksgiving. Um, so real quick, before we go to a break here in just a minute, I want to tell uh, everybody this real quick story about awareness um, off the topic of being attacked. But here is something, again, in this, this book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can actually use the techniques that I teach in this book uh, to go far beyond just avoiding an attack or being aware of where your threat is. You can also, if you're, if you're in a, a very dangerous job or if you have certain aspects of your life that may uh, be more dangerous, you can identify those areas by looking the same way of where you're vulnerable, um, what these critical areas and critical times are. And in the case of uh, my uncle Fred uh, Goodall, who is one of the most amazing preachers um, and amazing men that God ever created in uh, up in northern Arkansas, and everybody that knows him would say this, um, you know, he is uh, an amazing, amazing man who grew up thinking he was a horse, finally decided he was human, and decided to become a preacher. And he, <laughs> they got stories about him thinking he was a horse when he was younger, but he... Um, he was ra- he and uh, his wife have been uh, looking after his grandson. I think it's his great grandson, Lucas. Lucas Goodall. Lucas was eleven or is eleven, and uh, this just happened within this month. My uncle uh, and Lucas were out um, cutting down some trees on their property, and uh, my uncle Fred Goodall had taught Lucas at eleven years old how to use a chainsaw. Uh, he bought him a smaller chainsaw so he could practice on this, this thing. Again, teaching empowerment to the children, teaching them how to be aware, teaching them that uh, they are capable, fully capable. So he bought him a smaller chainsaw that he could practice on this thing. They go out. They're cutting this tree down. And unfortunately, my uncle, he's in his 70s now, still charging hard. I think he's starting to believe he's a horse again now in the 70s. Um, the tree collapsed and fell off and fell onto his leg, crushed his leg. And he was trapped under this tree. Little Lucas, who's been, you know, was trained by my uncle how to use a chainsaw, put his little chainsaw down and grabbed the big chainsaw and cut the tree off of uh, my uncle's leg. Now, he didn't stop there because once uh, they got a hold of, I don't know the story about how they called for help, but the ambulance could not get down the road. Uh, because of this tree, I believe is the way I was told this. And so Lucas helped clear the road with the chainsaw. 11-year-old kid went the distance and literally uh, saved my uncle's life. Now, unfortunately, uh, my uncle lost his leg. That's one of the reasons why I went out and got injured. I didn't want him to feel like he was all by himself in this. So now now I'm in a brace, and now they're gonna. I think they're going to put actually a horse leg on where he had his other leg. So... Uh, Little Lucas, I got to tell you, I, I salute you. I think that uh, I salute my uncle and my aunt and the way that you all have taught uh, this young man to be uh, empowered. And it shows. It shows. You can start children from a very young age on how to uh, not just be respectful, not just be um, well-behaved, but you can teach them how to be powerful at a very young age by giving them the tools, and in the case of my uncle, he started uh, Lucas off with a smaller chainsaw, 
uh, made him aware of the dangers of it, made him aware of the power of a chainsaw and how to use it. And when it came time for him to be tested, it wasn't like my uncle was sitting there saying, okay, I want you to cut a V knot or a V, a v notch in here. And I want you to push, you know, this was, he had to do this or my uncle was going to die. And he picked up the big chainsaw and he acted. And that's the whole premise of this whole book that I've written, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival, is that ultimately you, your children, your daughters, your sons, your grandsons in this case, your uncles, your clergymen, your, your, your entire congregation in your churches, the people that are in college, even congressmen, congresswomen, senators, even the President of the United States, Mr. Trump, if you're listening, you can be aware and you can be empowered. And when, when this is the case, what's going to happen in this country is that you're going to see things start to change. Politicians aren't going to be able to lie to you like they have before because you're going to be aware of what reality, what's effective thinking. You're not just going to give them the tool or the, the, the handouts and say, go save this country because that's not going to happen. You're going to be able to identify areas where on a daily basis, whether it be your home, your commute to work, whether your children are going to school or homeschooled, whether you're going out to eat or go to uh, some type of a music uh, concert in a, a stadium and arena, or maybe you work in a tall building, maybe you work in a mall, you'll be able to identify and you should be able to identify whether you get this book or not. You should be able to identify where the threats are, what times these threats are the highest, the vulnerabilities that can be exploited and the attacker's avenue of approach. All this, all this awareness, if the American people start to embrace what they've been given and are thankful for their freedom and realize that, yeah, you, you kind of have to earn this, this freedom. You kind of have to earn your place in life. If you start to realize this and you become aware and empowered, you're going to see, you're going to be a force multiplier for a police department. You're going to be a force multiplier for your neighbor. You're going to be a force multiplier for all the first responders and in general for the country. So it's time for the country, for a citizenry to start serving. And the way you do that is by gaining awareness, becoming empowered, and stepping up every day to help each other out. This is Jonathan Gillum. We're going to come back for the Sean Hannity Radio Show in just a minute. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. You can pre-order it at Amazon right now. We'll be right back. Breaking news today and tomorrow. Don't miss one day. This is the Sean Hannity Show. This is Jonathan Gillum, final stretch here. I just want to tell everybody thank you. Thank you again for having me on. Have a happy Thanksgiving. And remember, folks, I've been talking about awareness the entire show. It is up to you to be a force multiplier in this in this country for everybody. And go get this book, Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. I promise you, you will not regret it. Give it to everybody. It makes a great birthday present, Thanksgiving present, Christmas presents, New Year's. 
just get it. You don't even have to have a reason to buy it for a holiday. Just get it for people that are going away from home or people that you know that may be in a predicament where they, they could be in attacked. Give it to family, new parents. This needs to be something that gets in the hands of everyone. It's on Amazon right now for pre-order. Sheep No More, The Art of Awareness and Attack Survival. And it will also be available on Kindle and audiobook December 12th. Audiobook may be a little bit later. We'll f- I'll find that out and put that up. Follow me on Twitter, jgilliam underscore seal, and on Facebook at Jonathan T. Gilliam. I'll see you guys. Peace. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality, Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.